I thought uh, today that I would read from you from Mark's gospel, the story of Jesus' crucifixion, but that video, I think, says it all for us. Palm Sunday is such an odd day to be in church. It's such a day of mixed emotions. I mean, we just were in the triumph at time. I mean, the praise. And, and then by the time we leave here, we're in tragedy. There will be no boasting. There'll be no celebration. There'll be no rejoicing. There will be, we'll leave here in silence. We will leave here in, in contemplation. And if you've never been a part of a, a Sunday like this, this can be kind of an uncomfortable feeling. Skilled as our culture is in the art of denial, we just do not like to face the tragedies and the darkness of our lives and our world. We would just as soon look over them, not go into the darkness at all. And yet I think on Palm Sunday, we are called as God's people, his followers, to go into the darkness with Jesus. I mean, there's a temptation even in the church to kind of gloss over the tragedy. Well, we'll just go from Palm Sunday, we'll wave our palms today, the next uh, Sunday we'll gather along with the hundreds of other people, and we'll just go from triumph to next week to triumph. I mean, Good Friday in the United States has become just another day, even for the Christians. And there's such a temptation just to skip over this that it's not so bad. But I will tell you that there is a heresy that has infiltrated the church for a number of years now, and, and it's the heresy that goes something like this. That the whole purpose of the gospel is to make us feel better. That Jesus exists to make you and me feel better. But Jesus did not come into Jerusalem this Sunday to make us feel better. He came into Jerusalem to reveal to us the truth the truth about ourselves the truth about the world, and the truth about God. Truth, truth. I will say that this Palm Sunday, with the waving of the palm branches that we were doing during that first song set, I mean, it does reveal a truth to us. And you know what? The first truth that Palm Sunday reveals to us is that you and I really were created for praise. God really created you to praise God. I mean, when there is something, if you've ever really praised God before, you know that there's something that just happens inside of you. You just come to live or alive when you are praising God. I mean, to praise, I was thinking about this, to praise God, and for some of you this may be an allusion to my Revelation, Revelation series, but to praise God really is an act of resistance to the American narrative of autonomy, that you are your sole creator. That you are supposed to live for yourself, that you are the master of your story, you are in control of your life. But to praise God, as we were doing earlier, praise is rising. We offer our praise to you. What we are doing is that we are saying in that moment, no, it's not just about me. That there's more to my life than just myself. And when we praise God, we're just kind of opening ourselves up to something bigger than ourselves. 
Hey, there's, a, there's, a, there's another story. There's, a, there's another thing that is greater than who we are. Uh, there was a writer about 100 years ago. He said this, that the saddest moment in an atheist's life, of course, an atheist will not agree with this, but I'm going to say it anyway, but the saddest moment in an atheist's life has to be when something wonderful happens and that atheist is incredibly thankful, but then the atheist looks up and realizes he has no one to thank. That's got to be the saddest moment in an atheist's life. I mean, our culture just keeps telling us over and over, I only get you for an hour a week. For the rest of the week, our culture tells you that you exist for buying, you exist for acquisition, you exist for securing your life, it's all about you, or, or you've got the, uh, what I'm calling the, the priests, the high priests of the scientific method, and I'm all for science, but now there's this thing like scientism, and the high priests of the scientific method tell you that you are nothing more than molecules, you are atoms, you are nothing more than instinct. The random product of organic chemistry, that's who you are. But the moment we praise, we defy all of those assumptions. Isn't it funny that the more our culture is closing itself off from any notion of transcendence or the divine, the more it's closing ourselves off from that, the more people are still finding ways to praise I mean, people aren't necessarily coming to the church that much, but they are going to the arena. They're going to the stadium. That has to tell us something, because what it tells us is that we were created for praise. And we're going to find ways to do that, whether it's in church or someplace else. God has created us for praise. And on Palm Sunday, we, we actually embody that. We embody that. That's the first truth of Palm Sunday. But the second truth of this day, with the waving of our palm branches in praise, the other truth of this day is that the one that we praise today overturns every category, every expectation, everything we thought we wanted in a king to praise the turning upside down of everything. I can't help this, uh, but for the last number of years, I always reflect on the words of one of my favorite theologians. His name is Howard Thurman. He was one of the mentors to Martin Luther King Jr., and I think of these words every year. Thurman imagined what Jesus must have been thinking when he was coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, and Howard Thurman says this, don't you worry about your children, it's okay. Yeah. That's a good sound to hear, by the way. There are some churches that don't hear that at all. But Howard Thurman said this. He says, I wonder what was going through the mind of Jesus of Nazareth as he jogged along the back of that donkey. And he imagines, you know, maybe Jesus was thinking about the scenes of his childhood when he was in his father's shop, Joseph's shop, feeling the sawdust between his toes. Or maybe, Thurman says, maybe Jesus was thinking about those high holy days in the, in the synagogue when he would go into the synagogue and he would hear the sound of the ram's horn and it would just bring his whole body to life. But then Thurman really writes what I think is the most moving sentence in the whole reflection. He says, or maybe, maybe Jesus was thinking about his mother and how deeply he loved her. 
and how he wished there had not been laid upon him this great necessity that sent him out into the open road to proclaim the truth, leaving her side forever. That moves me. You know, we do know, especially in the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus' relatives, they thought he was crazy. His brothers rejected him. They thought he was a lunatic. But Mary, she always knew that there was something about her child that would make him have a different destiny. And you just know that Mary had to live with this constant sense of sorrow, knowing that the day would come when she would have to let him go. I uh, watched a movie with my children uh, several weeks ago. Maybe some of you have seen this, but the movie was called Wonder. Wonder, anybody, any of you seen Wonder? I, I do commend this to you. It, it's, it's, it's good. It's a story about a, a little boy. His name is Augie. And Augie was this gentle child. He was an innocent boy. And he was born with this genetic disorder that disfigured his face. And there's a a scene at the very beginning of this movie when Augie's mother realizes that she cannot keep him sheltered forever. That the day's going to have to come when she's going to have to let him venture out into the world. And of course, doing that, she realizes that's going to expose her little boy because he's so different. It's just the harsh realities and and cruelties of of the world. And I remember thinking in that moment about Mary, Jesus' mother, and how she had to know, she did know that her son was so gentle, and he was so innocent, and he was so different, and that the day was going to have to come when she was going to have to let him go, and that Jesus, her son, would be met with all kinds of just cruelties and harshness. It's what our world does to people who are different like that. Near the end of this movie, the, the principal of Augie's school, he, he says something like this. He says, you know, Augie cannot change the way he looks. But maybe we can change the way we see. I love that. I think Jesus, riding into Jerusalem on that donkey this Sunday, I think he really wanted to change the way we see the way we see each other, the way we see the nobodies, the way we see God. I think Jesus wanted to transform the way we see. I mean, think about it. (laughs) He rides into Jerusalem. this, This has to be said every year. He rides into Jerusalem riding a what? A donkey. That is, that's absurd. It really is. A donkey in those days, that was a piece of farm equipment. That's all a donkey was, almost like today. I mean, if you're going to be a king, you got to ride in not on a donkey, you got to ride in on a war horse. You need to ride in on a stallion, and yet by riding in on that donkey, I think Jesus, as he did throughout his ministry, he was trying to get us to see differently. I think Jesus really was hoping that we would see that, that the God whom he embodied that, that the God of the universe, God's power, really is God's humility. 
that the true God of the universe really only rules with gentleness and mercy and love? That God's power actually lies in the renunciation of power. That it is in the power of powerlessness. It is the power of gentleness with which God rules. But the people lying in the streets, waving their palm branches, they were not looking for that kind of God. They were looking for a God of victory, a winner. They wanted a king who would come in there, force his way, impose his will, dominate others, step on the necks of the enemies of Israel. That's what they wanted. I have to point this out every year. This is a palm branch, and and it's fun to wave these in church. But in the ancient world, the palm branch in those days was a sign or a symbol of victory. It was a symbol of winning. And it was especially, the palm branches were especially waved after military victories. The people lining the streets that in Jerusalem that day, we can imagine we were there, what they wanted and what they believed in was victory theology. I've said this before. Victory theology, that God is on the side of the winners of history. You want to find out who's done God's will? Look for the winners. Look for those on top. Those are the ones God has blessed the winners. Victory. But Jesus wanted us to see differently. He wanted to change the way we see. I mean, think of the scandal of this. Riding into Jerusalem that Sunday, nailed to the cross that Friday, Jesus wants us to see that the God of the universe is not the God you find among the winners of history. You will find this God among the losers, the victims of history. God did not come into Jerusalem to bless the prideful winners, but the humble losers. He did not come to bless the strong like us. He came to bless the weak. That instead of finding God next to the winners, we will find the God of Jesus Christ standing next to the scrap heap of losers and the losers of history. And you think about this. No wonder the crowds that greeted the winner on Sunday turned their backs on him. By Friday, they wanted a God of victory on their terms. Now, you and I, we know how this story ends. I wonder, though, how often you and I can be just like the people on that road waving their palm branches. I wonder how often you and I think that the God that we want or we think that the God that we're worshiping is a God of victory, by which I mean a God of power. God of domination, the kind of God who forces his way, intervenes and gets things to started, vanquishing all of those who are against us. I wonder how often, you know, the kind of God that I'm talking about, the kind of God that we pray to for prosperity, the kind of God that we pray to to make our lives better so that we can get ahead in this world, or the kind of God we pray to after we score our touchdowns 
kind of God we pray to to save us from our enemies or at the very least show others that our way is right? Can you do that for us, oh God? And, and what Jesus is trying to do is convert the way we see. Do we see it? What Jesus shows us on Palm Sunday is that that kind of God that we want to call on to bless our way in the world, that's a hocus-pocus God. That is a God of our projection. That is a God of our own fantasies. It's not the God Jesus came to reveal. What Jesus wants us to see, and this goes right back to what I talked about a couple months ago in our series on Revelation, that the, that the power of God really is, can you see it, the power of a slain lamb. Weak. Powerless. Vulnerable. Folks, there's your victory. There's your power. Can you see this? You know, the crowds on Friday, encouraged, by the way, by the clergy who thought it was their job to support the political establishment, they executed a sentence of death upon this humble God. And Jesus let them do it. He's powerless, remember? That's how God's power is. And what the cross of Jesus, this cross before me, symbolizes, and this is a truth that we have to face, is that you and I stand firm in our rejection of everything Jesus of Nazareth stood for in his life that we want no part of a Savior who calls us to radical inclusion, radical reconciliation, radical mercy, radical generosity, and the complete renunciation of all of our self-interest so that we may give our lives away to others. The cross is a firm symbol that we want no part of that kind of Savior. That's the first thing it says. And yet, the cross is a symbol like that slain lamb that the love of Jesus Christ will keep coming at us. Even if we reject him, he'll keep coming, coming. The love of God cannot stop. You cannot stop the love of God. The cross of Jesus Christ is a symbol that the love of God in that vulnerable, helpless lamb, that is the most powerful force in the universe. It cannot be stopped. Try as we want to silence it. It cannot silence. It cannot be silenced. Jesus came to change the way we see. Are you seeing differently? The soldiers, encouraged by the people, they took those gentle hands and they nailed Jesus' arms wide open. But if they would have known who he was, they would have realized they didn't need to nail his arms wide open. 
they would have remained wide open regardless. Regardless.